Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection of the dead. They posed this question, teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, there will neither, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses in the story of the burning bush? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Eric, if we haven't met before, and I'm going to continue our series of messages that we've been embarked on now for a few weeks called Five Questions That Matter. And before I get to the question, I want to sort of set up the question we're going to tackle here today with a story. A couple of, well, several years ago now, I was just starting out as an associate pastor at a church, still learning the ropes, still getting to know everybody. And I got a call to attend to a family uh, who, are, who were with a loved one who was near death. And this, his name was John, and John was a longtime member of the church. I got to know him through others' words that uh, he was a little bit of a gruff man, kind of quiet, never really shared much about his, his feelings or his faith, but he was very committed, very faithful to the church. He served in leadership on many boards and committees and teams and, and all of that. And so when I arrived at the hospital, I went into the intensive care unit, and some of you know very much about this, but um, some of you may not know that the intensive care unit is, has a different landscape than some of the other rooms. A lot of rooms are, are made with privacy in mind, but because people need to be aware, uh, people's lives are uh, very fragile and things are pretty urgent. There's windows, there's openness, and, and so everyone's kind of exposed in this intensive care unit. So I made my way to, to the family and they were in grief. They were just wondering how to, how to feel, how to navigate this, this, this moment as their beloved John was labored in his breathing. And you could tell that it could be any time now, as the doctor had said, it could be hours, it could be days, it could be weeks. Some of you have heard that before. And so I did what I normally would do in that situation is I went and I got a cup of water and I put my hands in the cup of water and I just dripped a little bit of water on John's forehead and I whispered in his ear, I said, John, I don't know if you can hear me, but I just want to let you know that whatever you're holding on to, you can let it go. You can have peace because of who Jesus is and you can let go. Now, you have to know that I don't mean to make it 
sort of non-sacred or anything like that, but that's just kind of what I normally would do in a situation like that. I haven't encountered too many situations like that, but enough that that's sort of a thing that I like to do as a pastor when I'm ministering to a family in a, in a situation like that. And normally I would just sort of sit back and visit with the family and maybe end with a prayer and I'd be on my way because you just never know when their time might come. But this time it was a little different. I sat back and I visited with the family, but none of us said anything to one another because we all saw what was happening in that moment. That as soon as I whispered that prayer into John's ear and dripped that water on his forehead, he started to let go. Within five minutes of praying that prayer, John released his spirit to be with the Lord. It was a sacred, a silent, and if I could be honest, maybe a little eerie of a moment. But all of us in that moment, we captured something that was so great and, and so powerful. We, we recognized in that moment that, that we were being invited into something much bigger than ourselves. And that we were observers of something that was so much bigger than what we could ever imagine with our own minds. It's that moment that I want to talk about with you today. The question is, what happens when we die? What is it about that moment that when, when someone's life on, the, on this earth is over, and, and we wonder, uh, what's next? Now, this is not a, a, a Christian question, really. I mean, by definition, religions seek out to answer this question, what is beyond, what, what is beyond death? And you have all kinds of expressions and answers and responses to that very question across all different uh, religions and denominations of the same religion and expressions all over the world that seeking out to answer this, this one question. And you know what? Even atheists ask this question. Think about it. They've made a determination that there's just nothing. Well, they had to have asked the question in the first place to, to become an atheist. Agnostics even have asked this question. You know, agnostics are, you know, God might be up there, we're not sure, but it's just not relevant to my own life. That's what a, a, an agnostic would say. And this question, well, that's just, I don't know, so I don't care, is basically what they would say. But they've asked the question. And so this is a question that matters because it's a question I'm convinced everybody asks at one point in time or another. What happens next? What happens after our time on this earth has come to, come to a close? Jesus was confronted with this, with this question as well. He, he was In Mark chapter 12, we read that Jesus was confronted with this question by a group by the name of the Sadducees. In a couple of weeks, if you were here, I talked about the Pharisees. That was a group that were opponents of Jesus. And I astutely informed you last time that nobody wants to be a Pharisee because they're not fair, you see. Right? Well, the same goes with the Sadducees. Nobody wants to be a Sadducee because they're so, what? Sad, you see. See, you know, this is what growing up in church does to you, Okay. <laughs> The Sadducees were a very powerful group. They were the power brokers within the Jewish community. And while they weren't the ruling group there because they were occupied by the Romans in that first century, they were a part of a group called the Sanhedrin. And they, they really ran the show. And 
because of that power, well, like many people we know, they, they enjoyed that power. They liked to hold on to that power. And so they were just okay kind of making some cuts here and there, conveniences here and there to, to hold on to that power. And if you even read some Jewish critics of the Sadducee movement, you'll, you'll hear things like they were Hellenists, which just means that they were more attached to the culture of the Greeks and the Romans of that day. They were okay making those, you know, key relationships with the, with the real people in charge so that they could hold on to their, their power. But they also were convenienced by their belief system. I mean, they, they kind of considered themselves purists because they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, something we call the Pentateuch the first five books of the Bible. And in their minds, it gave you everything that you need, right? It explains the law, explains how you're supposed to live out a covenant with God, explains how you're supposed to be the people, has some history worked in there as an example of, of that. And you have everything you need to live life as a Jew in covenant with God through those first five books of the Bible. But it doesn't say a whole lot about what happens after life on this earth. And so because it didn't say anything, they just thought, well, if it doesn't say anything, it must not be true. It must not exist. And so they were a particular group in that day. They did not recognize life after death. They did not recognize the resurrection. They didn't recognize the, the afterlife as the, the Sadducees. And so they come to Jesus with a question which I find kind of funny because here's a group of people that don't believe in the resurrection asking Jesus about the resurrection. And they, they kind of pose it to him in a, in a funny way, but they're, as we know, most people that come and ask Jesus a question, they're really just trying to trick him and catch him in some sort of blasphemy. So here's their question, Mark 12, 19 to 23. Teacher, Moses gave us a law. Remember, Moses is a big part of who, what they believe. Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. Oh, Lordy. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. And the analogy continues. Then the third brother married her. This continues with all seven of them. And still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us whose wife will should be in the resurrection. For all seven were married to her. What they're referring to is a practice known as the leveret marriage. We can see this in the book of Ruth. Now, on one hand, you'd say, well, this is really tied to a patriarchal society carrying on the family name and this poor widow's being passed around from brother to brother. And you, I think that's got some valid criticisms to it. But in that day, it was a provision. It was actually an act of, of mercy. There is no better symbol in the Bible of someone who is captured in poverty than a widow. Because women couldn't make a living for themselves. They couldn't earn their, their keep. If, if they lost their husband, they were completely out on their own. Many of them left to die. And so there were provisions made throughout Israelite society that this woman would have a home and be provided for. Now, I know that doesn't mesh well with some of our marriage ethics, but that's how it went in that, in that day. And so they posed this question, so 
So we know that this is how the church works. We know that this is how practicing faith. We know that's how that works here. So then how does that translate in eternity? How does that, that, that translate into, into heaven? Because to me, if it came from God, then it's perfect, right? So it's got to be the same here in heaven than it is here, right? Now, it might sound a little bit silly to you because we know in our hard hearts, we know that there's a big difference between earth and heaven. And some of you are like, yeah, you should see my week. Yeah, there's a big difference between heaven and the perfections of heaven and, and the suffering that I go through on a day-to-day basis. Lord, I hope I don't have to have my job in heaven. And yet, at the same time, as people, we can't help it, we find ourselves transposing our own imaginations onto what we think might, heaven might be. Several years ago now, and I'm dating myself a little bit here, I know you should, probably shouldn't say, well, you're probably telling me don't, date, don't talk about dating yourself, you're still young. Well, guess what, I turned 40 in February, and it feels like they'd say that's over the hill, right? So that's, anyways, that's all in my mind. But I'm dating myself with this. In the Christian community, there was a song a while ago called A Big, Big House, and it just tried to describe what heaven was going to be like. And they, and they started naming all these things like everyone's going to have their own big, big house and a big yard where they can play football and everything. And I'm listening to this and I'm thinking to myself, man, this sounds like the Outer Ring suburbs. <laughs> Maybe heaven's better than, than that, right? And so we try to come up with our mind, in our mind's eye, in our own imagination, what is this going to be like? I mean, okay, it's going to be different, but, but how different? And that's to the core of the Sadducees' question, while they still didn't believe in the afterlife at all. And so Jesus not only responds to that specific question, but he also responds to the fact that they did not believe in the afterlife altogether. And he says something really interesting here in Mark chapter 12, 24, scathing accusation. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. First of all, you are misinformed, but, but more than that, your experience, your experience of faith is failing you because you have not felt and experienced and realized the tangible power of God. You don't know what God is capable of. He goes on to explain, look, okay, there's not going to be like marriage in heaven, guys, okay? So it's a little bit different than what we have down here. And then he explains, but just so you know about the resurrection, just so you know about the afterlife, let me tell you something. That when Moses encountered God at the burning bush, God identified himself as a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were already dead. And so, I am the, and God identifying like that, I'm st- and called them still alive. I'm the God of the living, not just the dead. He brings, tells them that their information was wrong, but that they lacked the experience, the power of God that was available to them. 
when I ask this question or hear this question asked as a pastor a lot of what happens when we die, it, it comes out in a lot of different ways. And what I've found is that even the most certain people, even the most faithful people, even the people that can recite the, the Apostles' Creed, the, the people that have scripture memorized, the people that would stand on a firm foundation and say, this is the way that heaven is, and this is what God offers in Jesus Christ. Those people, in, in, in so many ways, they still wrestle with what might happen next. You see, certainty doesn't remove the mystery of what happens next. I've sat with spouses, longtime faithful Christians who have wondered why is my spouse in the next room suffering from cancer? I've tended to, to, to people who are wrestling with, with doubts about this question, people who, who believe and yet still struggle with this question because there is still mystery when it comes to life after death. We know, at least we think we know, life around us and, and life on this earth, but there is still that mystery. When I was uh, a young, zealous evangelical, I was really excited about sharing my faith with people, and one of the things that I was taught to encounter people with is a question, is a very similar question, of if you knew you would die, if you died today, many of you have heard this question, maybe someone asked you this question, maybe you asked somebody else this question, if you died today, are you certain where you would go? Now, let me first say about this question, I actually think it's a good question. I think it's something we should think about and, and wrestle with and invite God to speak and reveal things to us from this question. But I have to tell you that in my zealous evangelism, it was more like I was selling insurance than I was actually giving an invitation to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I hear Jesus talk here, and as I read through the scriptures and what they testify to life after death, I get this notion that God is less concerned about insurance and more concerned about assurance. And what, how Jesus assures us in this mysterious life after death. That while we might know a little bit, we certainly don't know it all. So I wanna cover three assurances that I feel uh, just God put on my heart that are coming from these and, and other scriptures. The first is that God is always working for and towards life. God is always working for and towards life. God created life. God sustains life. God works towards life. God's goal is not for you to simply exist. God wants to bring life out of you. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to be full of life. Remember Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. God wants you to have more of his life 
life and liveliness. We are not simply bodies looking to decay, de- decay and die. God wants us to live and live fully in him. That's what God is working towards. One of my favorite movies of all time is uh, The Shawshank Redemption. If you haven't seen it, it's just an incredible, incredible movement. One of the lines that I love in there, he said, um, get busy dying, get busy living or get busy dying. And I love that and, and it reminds me that God is busy living. God is busy bringing out life in his people and in the world around him. God is working for and towards life. But that life, that, that eternal life, it, it's not like we're just sort of waiting around for, for eternal life to begin. And that's the second thing, is that God, that eternity begins today. The, the eternal life, it, it begins right now. There, there is, there's no waiting around for it. Remember that Jesus taught us to pray, um, thy kingdom come, on earth as it is in, in heaven. That eternity, it, it begins today. We read in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his his glory. All of that begins now. We can have that eternal perspective and we can have heaven on our hearts right now in in this current moment. And if we test, hear the testimony of the scriptures and believe in the power of God, that means that today you don't know what God might do eternally in you or through you. You just thought this was a lazy day, huh? But you never know what God might do. You see, each day is packed, has the potential to be packed with eternal significance. Eternal meaning can be in your life each and every day. My wife read something recently and we were talking about it uh, when we were on vacation last week. We went for a walk and she was sharing with me that uh, it described a scenario like a lot of um, stay-at-home stay moms do where a lot of things you do and then they get undone, right? And, you know, like you prepare all the food and everybody eats it and then guess what? People get hungry again. Or that you clean, we clean all the dishes get it all cleaned up and everything, guess what happens? Dishes get dirty again. Same thing with the house. The house gets dirty. The shoes, oh Lord, the shoes. (laughs) The shoes, you have all the, the right places, the bins for the shoes, and yet what happens? The shoes get all over the house again. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Everything gets repeated over and over again. Diapers. I don't need to go there, okay? And so it cha- the, 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 the little devotion that she is reading challenged her to invest in something that can't get undone. Invest in something that can't get undone today. Those are those things that have eternal significance here in the moment. 
those eternally significant conversations, those eternally significant encounters with another person. Think about how you prioritize your day or your week. If some of you are starting school and feeling overwhelmed already, is all of that going to run you or or can we be intentional about understanding the eternal significance every day and the opportunity that we have to live out eternally today? Eternity begins today. The, the third one I want to share with you is to leave your luggage behind. So we went on vacation uh, last week, and it's so funny. I'm a notorious, like, I, I don't pack appro- appropriately for anything. Like, I just, I always underpack. And my wife, you know, I'd say she laughs at it, but at this point, it's just annoying. It's our anniversary today, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thank you, yeah. So, um, 12 years. And uh, so, you know, so she kind of rolls her eyes at this, but I forget to pack certain things. And when we get to our destination, I always have to buy something because I forgot it. Now, in defense, she's the other way around where she's always packing for doomsday. But, um, but you know, so um, we were going to Catawba Island where, you know, Lake Erie and all of that. We were obviously going to be swimming in, in Lake Erie. What did I forget? I forgot the swimsuit. And so we had to go to the, the nearest Dollar General, and I had to find something. And I'm telling you, this thing was like a parachute on me. Like, um, but I needed something. I, you know, what, what am I going to do? And so I always underpack. But that's not the case when it comes to this thing. This is my, my, my book bag that I carry around with me. And because, you know, going different places and... And especially, I like to work on my sermons, like at Starbucks or something like that. I'm always thinking to myself, what do I need, to, what books do I need to bring? Especially on vacation too. I gotta read through this book. I got a stack of books I gotta work through. What am I gonna read? So I have this stack of books here. And, uh, you know, obviously I have my, my laptop, so I need to take that with me if I'm gonna work on sermons at Starbucks, you know, that sort of thing. So that already is getting a little bit heavy there. But then I got some others, you know, I'm working on, not necessarily in the sermons, but other things I got to read through. This is a book from Seminary, Reviving Evangelical Ethics. That was a good one. I've always been wanting to reread that one. There's a book on worship um, there, you know, that's, a, that's important. Uh, organic Outreach, Pastor Steve gave me this. I haven't read it yet. I'm sorry, Pastor Steve. You know, Models of Contextual Theology. Let me tell you, it's a page turner on that one. Uh, simple Church, Church Growth. And oh, here, here's one. I always use this. This is an introduction to the New Testament context, methods, and ministry formation. Uh, shout out to Dr. David De Silva from Ashland Seminary. This is an amazing resource. It is big too, but you know what? I need it, so um, you know I got to carry that with me. But I also, especially if I'm preaching the New Testament, I can't forget the Dictionary of Paul and his letters. You know, so I got to say this. All kinds of helpful information here. Okay, I'm getting a little. A little heavy. Now, I also included, um, this was just a throw-in because I want to show you how smart I am. This is the, uh, origi- this is a, a, the original Hebrew, the Bible in, in Hebrew. So, you know, add that in there as well. And now, man, this thing is, I mean, you should feel it. It's, it's really, it's really heavy. Now, you, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll into Starbucks a little bit slower because of this. 
But let's say I had all these books in this backpack and I lugged it onto the table at Starbucks and you didn't know who I was and you saw what I was reading everything. Maybe you'd be impressed with all the books. Maybe you wouldn't be. But I'm guessing you wouldn't say, man, that guy has a first class ticket to heaven. (laughs) This is what the Sadducees were dealing with. They thought they knew the scriptures. They actually didn't know the scriptures as Jesus accused them. They thought they knew all of the information, but they never experienced the transformation. They thought they knew all of the knowledge, but they didn't feel it and know it and experience it for themselves. And I can tell you, I can recite anything, I can quote scripture for you, but none of that is, is, is replacement for the power of God that is available to us in Jesus Christ. I can take all of these books with me to, on vacation and I could read through them. In fact, I did read a couple of books while I was on vacation, but you know what? It's no replacement for getting up in the morning and seeing those sunrise over Lake Erie and saying, thank you, God, and abiding in God's presence. They did not know the, the power of God that was available to them. And as we think of heaven and we live out heaven and live out eternity on a daily basis, Jesus is saying, look, let go of your, of your stuff. Let go of, of your, your luggage, the things that you're, you're holding on to. Let go of it all. You, you don't need all of that. You know what's ironic about that? I, I actually have volumes of books from pastors who have either retired or have since gone on to be with the Lord. They've, they don't need it. <laughs> And they pass it on to, to me. You have permission to leave it all behind. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 12. There was someone that was talking about inheritance. And he addresses greed. And he says, look, um, he tells a parable. He said, there was a man who was well-to-do. His, his barns were full of grain. He was doing really well. And he said, you know, I'm doing so well. I need to build bigger barns for myself. I got to take on more stuff. So he built bigger barns and he was full. He said, you know, I could take it easy now. I could eat, drink, and be merry and I will be, life is good. And God says in that parable to that man, you fool, this very hour you didn't know that God, your life would be demanded from you. You see, a lot of us, the messages of this world would say, we got, we got more. We need more stuff because you don't know what's gonna happen. Right? We, we need to make the most of life here and now. That's what the Sadducees did. They pursued their power here and now. They didn't have to worry about eternity to hold them accountable to life as it is in this day. We don't, you know, we just take it off for yourself. Build a good life for yourself. And some of us, maybe we don't have bags full of luggage, but we're carrying a lot of baggage. And there are hurts and wounds and things that you've been holding on to. That Jesus says, I want you to let it go. He says in Luke 12, as he summarizes his parable, he says, and don't be concerned about what you eat and what you drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. And then he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give to you, give you everything that you need. So don't, I love this. So don't be afraid, little flock. 
For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasures in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. And then maybe some of you know the scripture. Wherever your treasure is, there are the desires of your heart will also be. Or as uh, Thomas Akempis, I love the way he says, he says, why then do you fear to take up the cross when through it you can win a kingdom? So back to this guy from my church, John. After I ministered with the family and helped with the funeral and had conversations thereafter, I realized that there was more to John's story than just having been a faithful church member and all of those things. John had some secrets. He had some things that he was holding on to. And it made me realize the significance of that prayer that I whispered in his ear. That the reason why he was fighting for his life Although we thought that was very virtuous, he had things that he had not let go of and could not let go of. And so that prayer that I whispered into his ear, when in the moment I had no idea if he could hear me or understand what I was saying, that prayer to let it go, just let it go. How powerful is that prayer? Jesus says, leave it all behind. You don't, you don't need it. I'm, I'm inviting you to release the baggage or the things that we store up for ourselves because eternity is so far greater. It is filled with far greater treasures than you can even imagine in your mind's eye. It is so much bigger than that. So leave it all. Leave it all behind. So I don't know if you've been kind of caught up in your own life with struggles. You know, struggles have their way of just sort of sitting there right in front of our face and it's the only thing we could pay attention to and there could be good things all around us but we don't know it because we're just focused on that one bad thing. And maybe that's how we've been over the last couple of weeks. And we would never think that the question, what happens after I die, has any relevance to that, that focus and yet through the testimonies of the scriptures and the testimony, the witness to the power of God, when we're saturated with God's strength and power and witness, we are free to just say, what problems? Oh, yeah, that's, you know, in the bigger picture of things, that really doesn't matter as much. It's my encouragement, my prayer for you today. Is, is to be able to, to let it go, to let it go. Let me pray for you. Holy God, in the certain hope and assurance that you are a God of life and are seeking to bring out life and the fullness of life in each of us, and that the assurance of of that eternal 
bliss being available to us here and now that we don't have to wait for it. We come to you without our luggage, without our baggage, just, it's just us. Would you take our hearts? Would you heal our, our wounds? Would you refresh us? Would you redeem us? Would you recreate us? And then help us to live for eternity today. Lord, I pray for each person here and whatever we might be holding on to today, I pray that we'd be able to release it. Whatever our grip would turn into an open palm and release all to you. Thank you for eternity. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your assurance. We rest in those. Though while we may not be certain at times, we are assured in you. And for that, we are grateful. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you, would you stand with me? So people of God recognize in each moment of every day the eternal significance that God has placed within you and on your life. Allow God to do his life-giving work in you. And whatever pressure, whatever voice, whatever influence that this world may give you, know that it is not an attachment when we claim Jesus as Lord. So go under that banner, go in that name, and go in his great love that is available to you. Amen. You're dismissed.